1: Is in the sun. How am I supposed to get any riding done? Hmm. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about the inscrutable All the Tired Horses, the opening track from 1970s self portrait, is mezzo soprano Amy Maud Helfer. Hi, Amy.
0: Hi. Thanks so much for having me. This is
1: awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I have to. We have to start off immediately. I admire your hutzpah, <laughs> and 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 I said this uh, in about an episode a while ago, uh, episode one thirteen, where I asked my guest Scott Pearson. I had asked him what song uh, for his first episode do you want to talk about? And he immediately asked for Desolation Row. And I was like, wow, I admire like that chutzpah to say, I'm going to go for the big one. This is just as brave in its own way, isn't that? We are talking about the only Bob Dylan song in the canon that he himself does not sing. Uh, <laughs> he did a duet, of course, with Johnny Cash on Nashville Skyline, but this is the only song that does not feature a Bob Dylan vocal in any way and only features the two lines that I quoted opening this episode. This is going to be an interesting conversation because I am fascinated as to why you asked for this song of all the ones to talk about. But before we get to that, I do want to ask you, like, how, Amy, did you become a fan of Bob's work?
0: Well, um, I feel like I sort of got to Bob Dylan sort of late in the game, uh, into college. You know, I first heard Bob Dylan on the Forrest Gump soundtrack and <laughs> I was in junior high school. So now I sort of know how old I am, but, um, and the, you know, it was rainy day women and the song terrified me. I was like, I cannot get my brain around this. I don't know what this is about. Like, I just, it freaked me out. So I would skip over that song all the time on the album. Hmm. And, um, it wasn't until I was in college, I studied voice and music education at Oberlin conservatory um, that my, my then boyfriend handed me the essential Bob Dylan, the two, two discs mm-hmm. and said, I think you'll like this. And I was like, really? You know, cause I grew up liking the Indigo Girls and Peter, Paul and Mary and, you know, folk stuff and whatever my older sister and whatever my parents were listening to, you know, Chicago, <laughs> the Crosby, <laughs> Souls and Nash. So Bob Dylan wasn't super out there from there, but I just didn't really know it. And Truth be told, I thought Blowing in the Wind" was a Peter Paul and Mary song. So <laughs> I listened to this album, and it, like as they say, that that was the beginning of <laughs> the beginning of the end. You know, that's that's where we went from there. Uh, and I was hooked. I thought it was so cool. I just listened and listened on my disc man. And uh, I have a very vivid memory of the first time I heard "Hurricane," and I was like, "What is oh, this? This is so." wild and so cool. Um, And so then I think I wasn't in, I was in grad school at Boston university and again, studying voice. And I remember talking to people, Oh man, I love Bob Dylan. He's so cool. And you know, my fellow voice majors were like, what are you talking about? Terrible. He's a terrible singer. I'm like, no man, he's actually the ultimate singer. Like he is telling a story through these lyrics and through, you know, his, his voice like like better than any of us could you know could do it's it's beautiful and that and that was around when modern times was released i think that may have actually been the first digital album i bought um and it's like this is too cool so um and actually he was in boston so that was the first show i saw at at ganas arena at boston university in 2006 okay um and, I, you know, I saw that he was going to be in town and I was like, I'm going to check this out, you know. And I was among the youngest and among the most female of the, <laughs> the guests in the audience. But uh, I just thought it was just awesome. And,
1: yeah. You talked about something I was going to ask you about anyway, which was your your fellow fellow <laughs> singers did, yeah. don't regard Bob Dylan. They, they sort of, you know, they turn their noses up a little bit at, at him because, of course, the, his vocal styles is... is not typically what a lot of people uh, think or is classifies as good.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's very, you know, there's the comments been. You know, oh, it's very nasal and it's very, you know, it's approximating the pitch. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you know? right. um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we study obviously for years, spent thousands of dollars in our lifetimes, perfecting the sound that comes out of our mouths and, you know, you know perfectly balanced and you know just able to cut over an orchestra and it's, it's just a, obviously it's a totally different style of music but um again he he you have no there's no illusion there's no question of what he is trying to share with us you mm-hmm. know it's just so clear and that's through his vocal vocalism and how he's using his voice and what's so remarkable is, as we now know, <laughs> rough and rowdy ways, you know all the the Frank Sinatra albums, he still has it you know mm-hmm. He's, this is a choice. this is not you know his voice has deteriorated to this sound. He's choosing to sound like this, and it's just astonishing. He's great control over the instrument every time I've heard him since you know as recently as November, when would that have been 2019 2019 uh, yeah at the beacon it was stunning it was just glorious. So I'm a fan. I will argue that till the day I die, that he is a beautiful singer.
1: <laughs> Very good. Have you, have you ever been able to convince anybody otherwise the way you were sort of convinced or anybody has listened to It's kind of like, yeah, no, still, still not working for me.
0: I think people get what I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. and, they, and I think they're also like, okay, we're not going to convince Amy that, you know, <laughs> this guy just isn't good. So let's just let it go. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, no, I think I, I've tried to get get people to turn on to him, and I, I think yeah, pe- people can get down with it. They yeah, mm. they get
1: it. And you like the shows you saw? Do you, you like the one in the, the Beacon that you saw the last one?
0: Oh my god, yeah! So I've seen him. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times.
1: Wow! All right,
0: four of four of which at the Beacon since uh, 2014, and the Beacon is just. The greatest venue for him. So, so the first time I saw him again was at Agganis Arena at Boston University. Second time was at Mohegan Sun. I convinced—I grew up in Connecticut. I convinced my parents to take me. You know, they—they they were neither really into him, but they're like, yeah, whatever. We'll go. We'll check it out. Hmm. And um it was very cool. We were in like the absolute last row. I think we bought the tickets like same day kind of thing, and we we're in the absolute last row. And it was just loud and. and Boomy in that, you know, big, like, concrete space. And I've also seen him in another... I saw him at Tanglewood um, as well a few years later. And I think The Beacon is just the best venue for him. He, he does so well with that intimate audience. Um, obviously, he can sell out a huge venue, like mm-hmm. Mohegan and the Gana Arena, you know, Madison Square Garden. But, but just the intimacy, you know, the levels aren't as loud and it's, it's just a beautiful sound. I mean, I love the beacon. I, everything I've ever seen there has just been stunning. Um, the sound is incredible. Um, you know, it's a real, it's a real theater. It's it's beautiful sound. So I think, I think he, he feels more comfortable, you know, everyone in the audience can see him, you know, it's, um, it's, I love that intimacy. So.
1: Yeah. He really benefits from that kind of place because uh, as we've talked about in other episodes, he doesn't have much of like a stage show. He's not, you know, he's not running around and there's not pyrotechnics and it's, uh, this isn't, this isn't Beyonce. So you really do kind of need to see him uh, as good as possible because it's every little facial tick and every little inflection is so meaningful because he does so little of it normally.
0: And striking that pose at the end with the microphone stand. It's outrageous. (laughs) Are there any
1: songs, are there any songs of his that you have like really been dying to hear him do and you would love to hear him do?
0: So every time I hear him, I, I go, please play "Lovesick," please play "Lovesick." I, I just something about the way, you know, that song is performed, and he usually does this. Um, my ultimate favorite song up until the release of "Rough and Rowdy Ways," my favorite song has long been "Mississippi." Hmm. I don't think I don't think he generally plays that.
1: Um, no, not that much. He's played it, but not a lot.
0: Yeah, he may have done it one point beacon maybe in like 2018 or something but yeah i i'd have to go back and look at the set mm-hmm. and stuff but i'm just delighted to hear him you know it's just that we <laughs> that we are on earth at the same time as this mm-hmm. man is just like awesome and every mm-hmm. time i get to see him i'm just like this is so rad you know <laughs> um there the the first time i went to the beacon in 2014 i i hung by the stage door like, i'm gonna need him i'm gonna totally meet <laughs> <need> him <laughs> Well, I did not, but after 45 minutes, uh, his band came out, and I actually did chat with Tony Garnier. Wow! Which was so cool. And of course, you know, like my first instinct is to be like, I'm a musician too. Hey, 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 what's up? And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm an opera singer. And he was like, Oh, cool, man. You know, we went to La Scala. And I was like, Really? Like, so, you know, he, like he immediately, you know, kibitzed with me. It was great. It was wild
1: so that's marvelous I would kill to talk to Tony that's really cool
0: yeah and I actually you know truth be told it was only my third show and I didn't really I was like I know he's in the band I didn't know his name you know and so like he walked away and we're like yeah good night yeah yeah cool you know he's such a bass player and uh (laughs) and there was another woman also hanging by the stage door and I don't think really chatted with it she's like do you know who that was and I was like yeah yeah this is the guy in the band and she's like it's tony garnier so i felt so lame but also like so awesome so yeah it was such a new york moment you know so that's
1: oh that is fantastic yeah. i'm so jealous of every <laughs> i keep talking to all these people that have talked to the band and i've never had it i've seen them 25 times i've never done that yeah. Jeez, i'm oh like this is ridiculous so
0: Right, well, by the stage door, I've met other people like, at Carnegie Hall. I've hung out by the stage door, I've met famous opera singers that way too. So,
1: <laughs> I guess I need to do that. I've never actually done that, so maybe that's that's part of it. Yeah, but before, before we talk about the song, I do want to ask, yeah. how does one become a mezzo soprano? I mean, it's I've never spoken to someone who does this. <laughs> how, how how did you find your way to doing
0: it? Yeah, so, um, I I grew up in a very musical family. Um, my, again, my, my older sister and my parents were very musical. They all, uh, had beautiful voices. Um, but no one had pursued it professionally. Um, so we just, we sang rounds in the car on car trips and, you know, we just always loved to sing together. Actually growing up, my father was the cantorial soloist in my synagogue. Wow. Um, Which I now do in my hometown as well, Uh, and I just sort—I just sort of gobbled up every musical experience I could through public school. Um, You know, I played the alto saxophone in the band, and I joined the choir, and I just auditioned for every play and every musical I could. I didn't really understand that it could be a career because you know no one in my family had done that, and no real understanding I didn't grow up actually in an operatic household we loved musical theater we loved pop music but um I don't think I actually heard opera until I was like studying it I went to um a high school music program at Tanglewood again um and started taking voice lessons there and you know it was really through again public school choir and that I was introduced to art song and to classical music at all. Um, and slowly through that program and through, you know, my wonderful teachers um, in the high school said, oh, I, I guess this is a thing you can, you know, you can have a career doing this. So I, and I was always, you know, I sang the national anthem at the football games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mm-hmm. anything I could do. Again, I just wanted to sing as much as I could. And very, and you spoke to how did I become a mezzo-soprano I very naturally sort of gravitated to singing alto in the choir. So that's the lower of the female voices. Um, It was, you know, it was a little more challenging. You know, I got to sing the harmonies more and, you know, I had the ear for it and I could read music well enough that that was, that was right. But uh, so I entered college as, again, a music education major and I was sure I was gonna be a choir conductor. And then, you know, actually we sort of flirted with, am I a soprano? You know, just how high does my voice go? So it's really, the, the, the distinction is not so much a choice as much as just where does your voice naturally fall? Where does gotcha. it feel comfortable? Okay. Um, I mean, you could maybe sort of tell just by hearing me speak, that my voice is a little bit lower than other female voices. And so just, it's, it, it's more suited to that. So I sing parts that, you know, the, the, the tradition is mezzo-sopranos are the witches, bitches, and witches. <laughs> so, you know, literally the witches in all the operas, the, you know, a sex, I've sung Carmen, um, and I sing pants rolls, like Carabino and Hansel, um, and that's that's a, a convention of, of opera in which the lower-voiced women, to, you know, sort of sounding like boys, uh, sing the pants rolls, again, the, the the, playing the roles of boys, um, so I, as I said, I was studying to be a choir conductor. I was doing the music ed program. I, you know, every going through that program, and then I was cast in the main stage opera, actually as a pants role, <laughs> and I was kind of bitten by the opera bug. I was like, oh, this is really fun. You know, just hmm. I loved the rehearsal process. I loved just diving into the text, and it was you know, is in Italian. And so, you know, learning the translations and how to, you know, sing in a language that wasn't my own or my native language anyway. And um, so I ended up uh, adding the performance major and then ultimately got a master's degree in voice as well um, and moved to New York a couple years, I guess a year after I finished my master's and started auditioning, started listening to Bob Dylan (laughs) I'm wow. Crazy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I am old enough to remember, uh, when I would try, I would, uh, my father sometimes would put on, my dad liked opera. He still does. Uh-huh. Uh huh. and he would listen to his opera eight tracks. Again, that's how mm-hmm. old I am is that yeah. there would be eight tracks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he generally listened to the, you know, kind of the big La Traviata and, you know, mm-hmm. he's very w- 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 known works. Now, I, I will admit, I was not a fan. Uh, I was like, oh my God, this is opera, what he's playing. But I was, you know, he enjoyed it, so it was fine. And and part of it was, as a kid, I was like, well, I don't understand the language. I don't understand what these mm-hmm. people are saying. So it was like, to me, it was almost like gibberish. Mm-hmm. I will say, as I have gotten older, I will, I cannot say that I listen to opera in any, in any way. But I have a, and, you know, this helps when you're listening to Bob Dylan, too, is a lot of it is what is the emotion you're hearing Mm -hmm. not the words Mm -hmm. not necessarily the words because as we've discovered i've discovered through listening to 40 million bob dylan songs is sometimes what he is conveying is different than what the word is conveying and it's that sometimes it's that tension that you're hearing and you're picking up something that no computer could understand because Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's literal and so I've seen, uh, movies with opera in it and, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, there's a, there's a 1940s movie, Tales of Hoffman, which is a, yeah. mostly a live performance. And I like that movie quite a bit. Even though I don't really understand what's going on, it's mm-hmm. the emotion of it that I'm, uh, keying into. And maybe that's something that way wh- that you need to do as you get older. When you're a kid, yeah. you just don't have the, the sort of emotional bandwidth to really understand that you're taking everything's literal, you know, yeah. just, like, but I will say that has, I can think about those times. I remember being in the backseat of my father's car as we were driving around because I was younger and listening Mm -hmm. to him. And, you know, I was like, what is he getting out of this? But Mm -hmm. I can sort of understand it now, you know, I understand kind of what he was going for, uh, listening to those scratchy old, uh, eight tracks for guy, eight tracks, my God. Uh, so, um, but I mean, that's, that's marvelous. That's just an amazing, amazing journey for you to go on. And it just sounds incredibly exciting to be in New York city and, and, uh, being a you know being a professional, not so soprani, You don't meet people Thank like you. that who do things yeah. like that. It's just remarkable. So, well, speaking of uh, as we were talking about songs uh, that uh, you'd like to hear Bob sing live, uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> all the tired horses, the opening song from Self Portrait. By the way, it just I did a little. I was looking back through the archives. This is the first song from Self Portrait that we've gotten to oh, on this cool. show. We have cool. not done one to this point. So this is the, right. the debut of Self-Portrait. Oh, neat. All right. Um, so, I mean, look, everyone, this song, even for a lot of diehard Bob fans, confounds them. Yeah. Because it is like, what is this? Why is it? Not only is it, why is he not singing it? Why is it only basically one line? And why does it go on for like three and a half minutes? So, okay, Amy, you picked this one you run with this ball explain Uh, to me why you want to talk about all the tired no
0: pressure so um (laughs) so so as I was saying I sort of got into Bob like late and then so I like knew his you know his the essential you know I knew knew all the hits I knew all the you know the the folksy stuff and then got into modern times and then my longtime favorite album is love and theft Mm -hmm. and so I I got into him late, and I remember talking to to a friend like a year ago, and I was like, "You got to listen about Dylan." It's so cool, <laughs> you, know, you got you got to get into this. And he was like, "I think I want to listen to them in order of how they were released." And I was mm. like, "Oh, that's interesting," you know, because he was like, "I have no frame of reference to it," Um, and I was like, "That's a fun idea." And so I, I think a couple months ago now, I was like. A good idea. I'm gonna try that. You know, just to, like just for something to do while I'm sitting at home doing work. You know, and nothing else. um <laughs> mm. I'm gonna listen to it all the way through. So I started listening in order, and I got to I admittedly didn't know self portrait. So it comes to this song, and I was like, wait, did it skip? Did it go to some other artist? <laughs> like I literally was like, this isn't Bob Dylan. Like so I like you know I think I was like on my Bluetooth headphones, like walking around the house you know, doing chores kind of thing and i went back to my phone and i was like what is this and i was like holy shit this is wild and i just listened to it over and over and over it's like this is so cool and so the reason i love i actually love this song and i really sort of envision you know obviously we're i'm so starved for the theater but it's as if it's actually a wonderful you know prelude overture to as if it was like a staged Show. You right, know? right. I sort of imagine, you know, the, the house lights come down, and these women step in front of the in front of the curtain. you know Curtain's still down. Footlights come up. Incidentally, I thought there were only two voices for a long time until I looked at the track listing. But um, and then these women come out and they start singing, and like it's sort of it's just sort of setting the, the stage for what is this album, what is what is this show going to be, you know? And then oh, you know, the orchestra sort of, you know quietly comes in with them. Um, And I just, I think it's stunning. And then, you know, I imagine like the the song ends, it fades out, they step back behind the curtain, the curtain opens, and then the show begins. Um, And I remember I I was listening to this and I was like, 1970. So I wonder, I was like, surely they looped this. Like they recorded this (laughs) twice, done. You know? But it's really not. And I also was so mystified. You know, you hear the upper octave, you know, all the time, this in the sun i was like is this like a weird overtone thing i had like no <laughs> idea what was going on and i just was i thought it was stunning and so here i am at my keyboard the thing i love about this song is that you just hear the acapella part all the time oh, in the song it could go in any direction it literally like is bob gonna come in is they gonna are they gonna start singing it in a round are, you know, is anyone going to come in? Is it just right. going to be this for, for three, for three, minutes, right. three hours, you <laughs> right. know? yeah. You know, but when you hear just the acapella part, it really could just go... To to like, really, like one, four, five, just basic folk song, basic rock song, right? But no, our man Bob goes... <laughs> And this beautiful, mournful, and instead of so the five chord, you know, bringing us back to the tonic, we hear this usually. We want so badly to go, oh, right? But he did, he changes just a half step, he just goes. i mean you know this is like basic songwriting stuff and you know musical theory stuff but it's just so stunning because you have no idea where he's gonna bring us and like you were talking about you know the the text you know sort of in juxtaposition with the melody is just what's so astounding about him and um yeah it's just i think it's beautiful um
1: do you feel as I, I will admit, like I said, when I when I first got self-portrait and I didn't go in order, I bought the I just jumped around because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I was buying things at record stores for Pete's sake. So I was um, right. slightly limited to what I could get. And most record stores, if they were going to carry Bob Dylan, did not carry self-portrait. You know, what I mean, that was one of the ones oh. that I had to kind of search out to get. I will admit when I first heard this, I was like, what it what the hell? is this what does he do you know i just thought he was yeah. just goofing around and i'd seen some interviews and you know we've already quoted some times where he talks about that he he himself is kind of um that he he says he he's kind of negative about the record in in hindsight and things like that that said
0: I, oh, the cover portrait in five minutes or something right
1: right right yeah. um that said i i realized that the there's probably no point in reading into the lyrics although I am interested as to what you think the lyrics might mean but it really does feel like what you just said that it's a it's an intro it's an intro to this record it was a record unlike anything that uh, he had done before where he was going to mostly sing songs of not of his own creation and he was kind of taking us on a tour through his inspirations uh, through his childhood inspirations. And so, yeah, it's like, it's like one of those old timey 1950s movies where you had an, an introduction where the music played for a minute or two and then the movie starts. And you know, when you, if you grew up in an age before that happened, you're, I and mean, then you see an older movie, you're like, what is that? What, what is this? But that was the style. And so that's kind of what Bob is doing here is that he's setting the stage, the sort of rhythmic, kind of loping feel and that it is the same line repeated for three minutes and 14 seconds, but it does kind of lull you into this kind of easy feeling, which might make you a little more ready to accept hearing Bob sing old songs like Alberta and Early Morning Rain and Days of 49, as opposed to maybe what you're expecting is some new songs or whatever. So it's it's a mood setter. It's a mood setter. And when you know what you want, you accept that. It works, and it becomes very and it is very pleasurable to listen to the three women singing. By the way, are names Hilda Harris, Albertine Robinson, and Marethria Stewart. Uh, I'm not familiar with these women. I don't think they've worked with Bob much beyond well, outside of this. Oh, you're all right. Give me drop some knowledge here. Who are the, <laughs> who are these women?
0: Well, so I I do have thoughts on like what it might have possibly inspired the song. But so I was re looking at the track listing last night actually, and I was like. Hilda Harris Harris is a really familiar name to me. What is that? And I Googled the name and I was like, oh, of course. So presuming it's the same woman, Hilda Harris is a pretty famous mezzo-soprano.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And Hilda Harris is a voice teacher at Manhattan School of Music and I think Sarah Lawrence. And so I actually messaged a friend of mine last night who studied with her. (gasps) Wow. I I said... Hey, I have just this really super random question. But <laughs> do you have any idea if the Hilda Harris that we know was like a studio or you know background singer in the sixties and seventies? And she said, "Oh yeah, for sure."
1: Oh and, boy! And I was like, "Are you
0: serious?" So she said, "Oh, let me. Said, I'll message her." So, so to be to be concluded, whether like I would love to know if there if she has any like memories of you know what was it like in the studio was Bob there you know what, what happened I'm also really curious like did Bob Dylan himself orchestrate this like I have no idea but um so anyway so yes presuming it's the same woman she's now an operatic singer she was the first black woman to sing carabino at the Met um and like just super amazing career um And I suspect it's the same person. So funnily enough, I was, I played this song for my boyfriend the other day, um, who was also a singer. And I said, hey, I'm going to be talking about this song. Check, like, what do you, just what he, he's, you know, he doesn't dislike Bob Dylan. He's not, you know, a fan, a fanatic, let's be honest, Um, (laughs) like me. So um, he was like, I was was like, let's check this out. And I started playing it and he was like, wait, is this you singing? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, dude, this is, this is the album, you know, check it out. He's like, Oh, this is really pretty, it's like a lullaby. Um, and I said, I think so too. So, so again, I didn't really know a self portrait for many years of even being a fan. And every time I would see that list of Bob Dylan's songs on his website, I saw this title and I assumed it was some riff on all the pretty little horses, mm-hmm. you know, that song, the. Like the folk song, you know, Hush up, don't you cry, go to sleepy little baby. So I literally never even thought twice about it. I'm like, oh cool, it's some, you know, riff on that. Like, move on. And uh, which is indeed a lullaby. Um so I think he's sort of hearkening back to you know we I heard you talk about this on another show that like you know he sort of has this like wild west old tiny like mm-hmm. thing that he's always trying to evoke, you know um and then I started googling for so this they go through this the verse fourteen times, <laughs> and I googled what are, what's fourteen horses so there's all sorts of weird stuff that comes up on Google and I don't know if we trust Wikipedia at this point, but um so there's one website that suggests that a pony is classified as 14.2 hands and under, and a horse over 14.2 hands is, yeah, is a horse. So the distinction in height of a horse is whether it's a horse or a pony, it's 14 hands. Um, and then there's another website that suggests that if, you know, the press, like 14 horses makes you a nobleman. So, you know, who knows? I think that's sort of what we all delight in with Bob is like we'll kind of never know what inspired right yeah and like it's just so mystifying and beautiful um and so we're free and i i I would expect that he welcomes that we're free to experience it however we want you know And, and interpret it however we want um which is why it's so funny to, like, look back. Like, I can't even fathom being in the audience and having people yell, Judas! At him. Like, I can't even. Yeah. Like, this dude is making his own art. Like, he changed instrumentation, and you're gonna, like... I don't... It's just, it boggles my mind. But, you know, cancel culture before there was... Uh, <laughs> or there was Twitter. But, man. So, yeah. I think that, as you said, he, he's just trying to set the stage for us and set the mood, you know, just welcome us into this, like, this is a throwback guys, you know, enjoy. Um, and here's a sort of throwbacky kind of piece. I, I think it's stunning. A- a- and again, the, 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 the skill in these women singing in perfect unison 14 times in a row mm-hmm. is, is astonishing. I mean, again, I, again, I wonder like, was it in one take was it, you, you know, how did they, did they splice things together? I think, I kind of, I mean, again, we'll see if we hear from Ms. Harris herself, but um, I I would suspect this was done in one take because on the third time through, one of the women sort of like almost imperceptibly like messes up the lyrics. I don't know if you can hear it. It's just like, all the tired horses. How, like all the tired horses, how, how's a must. But like you sort of hear a sort of how's a must something Hmm. (laughs) like this, like the third time through. And in the, um, 12th time through after the pizzicato in the, in the violins, you hear the upper octave, the sopranos almost crack a little bit. Like Like just just so slightly, so slightly. And it's beautiful. Like, I mean, I can't imagine sustaining that so many times through again, that's too high for me, but you know, I would be on the lower octave, (laughs) but, but like, It's, it's fascinating. So I'm like, maybe they did it in one take, you know, done, move on. So I don't know. It's so cool.
1: Unlike previous albums uh, that Bob had worked on when they were produced by Bob Johnson, by Bob Johnson's own uh, admission, uh, his producing style was basically hit record and then stop. That was that was that was Bob johnson's recording. He basically just Bob okay. do what you want he'll do it self portrait though is very different from that in that it was a very heavily produced record in fact I've mm-hmm. read stories about where uh, a lot of overdubbing was done to where the musician no no one musician was ever in the same room with another musician, and they really? were- uh, yeah yeah and john- it was johnson's job to piece it all together. There's oh a, wow. There's an interview with I think it's Ken Buttrey, uh the, the Bob Dylan's often drummer where he talked about that uh he would come in, do his drum parts and then he left little notations for I think it was Charlie McCoy, uh one of the guitar players. I I'm, I'm maybe getting the the, the name wrong. I apologize. But but basically he left little notations in the music for Charlie because he knew Charlie was coming in with a little arrow pointing up and an arrow pointing down to tell him Bob's voice drags a little, or he rushes a little.
0: Oh, awesome. That's how
1: much this thing was sort of pieced together. So Bob Johnson really earned his money with self portrait because this thing was, I mean, obviously this record has the, 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 uh, the duet with Bob duetting with himself of the boxer. That's obviously an overdub. It has to be. So Bob Johnson was really doing a lot. So I'm betting that Bob Dylan wears nowhere to be found when they recorded all the tired huh. horses. He was just nowhere around yeah. It was Bob Johnson, the three women. And then they just got it done. That's
0: fascinating. Yeah.
1: Also, I also thought it was funny that for many years before all these lyrics were officially available, everyone mm. always thought that the line was how am I supposed to get any writing done? Yes. Which yes. people thought that that was Bob's comment on the fact that I'm not writing songs. So here's a bunch of covers. That's, that's pretty on the nose. For Bob, uh, that's not generally something he would do. I mean, he kind of leans into that on watching the river flow on greatest hits volume two, where he sort of admits that he's not writing anymore. But here I don't, he's not trying to be that obvious. He's trying to be inscrutable and set the stage. And, you know, and also I I found this uh, very funny is that this song, All the Tired Horses, was used in the 2001 film Blow with Johnny Depp, proving that there is no Bob Dylan song that cannot be licensed for a movie. There just is that. You know, and I, I, again, I'm again, I'm always fascinated because imagine what that phone call was like when they called the, the licensing office, you know, and they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, we're here from uh, Columbia Pictures. Uh, we're looking to license a Bob Dylan song. And the guy, you know, the man to the woman's like, yeah, all right, which one? Like, a rolling only accept- no, all the tired horses. Uh, really? You want to, you want to like, you want that one? Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> this is like, there's no Bob Dylan song that cannot be used to be licensed somewhere. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> Just, I didn't see it. the film, so I don't, I can't even like contextualize
1: that, but, but I, I remember when that. it popped up and I was, I saw that movie in the theater and I remembered hearing it and I went, wow, that's, yeah, that's a deep cut. So I, well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine, I, I'm sure that someone who is a professional singer just has an appreciation for this kind of thing that the rest of us do not because, like I said, I, I do wonder. It's like, do you feel like it goes on too long? Do you think that three minutes and fourteen seconds is like, all right, Bob, you made your point, or do you feel like because it has that sort of hypnotic feel that it's it, it doesn't feel like it runs that long?
0: No, I think I think like with everything that he he gives us, it's it's deliberate. I, I think it's I love it. Like I, I I have no question that he chose fourteen repetitions for some reason. We don't know what that <laughs> is, but I I believe it. and I think that every every um variation of the like ensemble the orchestral track is is beautiful and, and and we need it I love I love the sort of triplets in the you know in the, in the trip in the cello um I love the pizzicato I, I I think it's just how it builds I keep adding an instrument it's it's I love it I think it's so cool
1: <laughs> like i said it's it. it is the only i i you know it's sort of funny i remember many years ago uh when i i think i think a friend of mine bought it the um the i think it's zuropa the u2 album i forget which one but there's one of the u2 albums where the final song is called the wanderer and it's sung by johnny cash and bono is nowhere on it and i remember mm-hmm. listening to that record and going Well, oh, that's interesting like in like is, that, is it still a U2 song? If Johnny Cash is singing, it's not Bono? But I was like, I don't know. I was like, I, I kind of, I thought that was kind of cool that the band um, is sort of almost stepping aside a little and, and pushing this other, not pushing, but presenting this other person who obviously they have deep admiration for because Johnny Cash, giving him this kind of showcase at the end of this record, probably introducing him to. A lot of people that were not familiar with him because U2 was like super hot in the 90s. And here's Johnny Cash singing this song. So there's something weirdly uh, self-effacing about just mm-hmm. opening your opening a record called Self-Portrait with not yeah. you singing. That, there's just yeah. something wonderful about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, again, that's part of the delight we, we can take in what he gives us is that you know, just get, leaves us all scratching our heads and we'll never know. We'll probably never know. No, you know? we will. I'm sure and,
1: we will never know.
0: <laughs> and, but that's, I think that's, I mean, that's great art, you know, that just to leave, have us leave the theater, have us, you know, put, stop the record and just go, huh, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's, that's, that's what art exists to do mm-hmm. uh, is to elevate us and make us think and bring us to another place. So mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. And, and, again, it, this song immediately brings us, just transports us. Mm -hmm. Where on earth is this album going to go? What is the song
1: going to do? Yeah. I mean, unsurprisingly, this song has been played zero times in concert. Uh, I do wonder if considering how many times he, how long he used backup singers well into the mid eighties, whether this was ever rehearsed or when he was just sitting around playing with the band, whether any of them ever decided to try and give this a go because he had, you know, this gaggle of singers that could have done it for him. And somewhat related to this, the only other example I can think of Bob Dylan ever considering something like this was supposedly um, for the final song on Slow Train Coming, when he returns, he had initially planned to give that to the backup singers to sing. He was not going to sing on that song. It was going to end with these the three backup singers doing the lyrics. And then he decided to record his own version of it. And that's the version that we hear on the record. Oh. But so, so it's not, so, I mean, and that, that's at the end of the decade. You think about it, yeah. that's, the, this is the very beginning of the seventies and that's at the yeah. very end of the seventies. So he's never quite given up on it. He's, I guess somewhere in the back of his mind, he always considers, well, maybe this would be better. Even though it's my record, yeah. this would be a bit, this would be better to hear in a different voice. He's, he's, he's open to that. Again, it didn't happen. So all the tired horses are means unique, but I always yeah. found that curious that he's you know it's something he considers it's to this day, right. maybe
0: well, and going back to what you said about like you know very recently we see the lyrics, I mean it's entirely possible that these women were singing writing you know I mean, and and <laughs> he just decided to put it on the website as write it
1: that's you know? true, that's true
0: it, like because it, it's it, it's it's really kind of hard to discern i I was thinking that also when I was listening to it, I was like they say' it, write it. <laughs> you know? Um, so it could have had a totally different intent when he wrote it, you know?
1: He um, does love to fuss with the words even to the last second where they're putting oh, them on the website, so.
0: Yeah. Oh, and, you know, and sort of playing around with it in performance, too, you know? Yeah. After being recorded. So.
1: Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> He never closes the book on it. So, well, I mean, wow, that that's all the tired horses. Uh, it's not a song I ever thought I would get to. And if I did, certainly not this early in the Dylan canon. I mean, there's still songs from Highway 61 and Blood on the Tracks we haven't gotten to. But we got all the tired horses. We got that one checked off. So, uh, I mean, Amy, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show and for asking to do this song. Because I don't know anyone that would probably ever ask for this. So, thank,
0: thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. This has been so fun. It's been so fun to just, you know, dig in in a, you know, in this way
1: too. Oh, thank you so much. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet?
0: Sure. So uh, my website for, you know, my mostly operatic goings on is amymodhelfer.com. My name, that's Maud with an E. Uh, for more Bob Dylan and vegan and operatic content, uh, you can visit my Twitter, which is Maud. M-E-Z-Z-O-M-A-U-D-E. Uh, and if you need a mezzo-soprano or a voiceover artist for anything at all, hit me up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Outstanding. So that, is, that is just marvelous. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, everybody, if you want to follow this show, all the episodes are on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And finally, if you don't support the Find Water Podcast Network, Go to patreon.com slash FW and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel and Sebastian Krug for their support of Pod Dylan. That's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye.
0: horses in the sun i'm supposed to get in a ride right and done on mm-hmm. the tired horses in the sun i'm supposed to get in a ride right and done